Closed captions are available for this video and full transcripts can be found on our blog. Hi folks, I'm Eric Ryan, CEO of Imagine BC and a member of the Data Collaboration Alliance. Welcome to the Data Drop panel, where each month we gather some leading data and privacy professionals to hear about the news stories that stood out for them over the past month or so. In the fast-paced world of data privacy, it's always interesting to hear what's raising the eyebrows and curling the fists of practitioners. I should note that all the stories that we'll feature today have been included in our podcast, which delivers a five-minute privacy news roundup every other week. This month, the Data Drop panel will have three guests. Jeff Jockish, <laughs> CEO of Privacy Plan, Priya Kisha, CEO of Maru Data, and Samir Ahirbao, CEO of Ardent Privacy. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah. <clears throat> Thanks, Thank Eric. you for having us, Eric. Look forward to the, the great conversation here. All right, let's get kicked off. Jeff, you're, you're, you're first here. Um, so the topic is your online activity and location is being exposed 747 times a day. <laughs> for, for, let me, I, I'm actually a little surprised it's, it's that small. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's an interesting uh, uh, case. Um, uh, the Irish uh, Civil Liberties uh, Organization, uh, I think that's run by Johnny Ryan, uh, filed a uh, lawsuit. Um, and this is against the, uh, the IAB in Europe. And it's, it's really, this is a, a case that's about real-time bidding. And so they've done a lot of research. And uh, one aspect of that research is really sort of understanding you know, how our personal information is shared in the real-time bidding process. Um, and when you really break that down uh, and you look at Americans, for instance, um, all that the, all that ad tech really means that that Americans' information is is given out to over four thousand companies, um, and 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 our information is shared roughly seven hundred and fifty times a day, right? And this is uh, you know personal information, personal data, as well as location, which is you know in, in their opinion and in a lot of people's opinion a, a data breach, right? That that's on a massive scale every single day and that's just uh, a scary thing right now you know the ad tech folks and and google and you know whoever else is sort of involved in this would, would probably tell you that this is um you know information that um can't be uh, attributed to an individual person right that it's de-identified and that that is you know technically true but when you have a large set of uh, information about people, right? 20, 30, 50, 100 pieces of, of personal data, even if it's de-identified, um, it can be pretty easily re-identified. I mean, I think that's pretty much a well-known fact. So if I was to take that information about you, Eric, uh, and take it to another data broker, they could probably pretty easily figure out that it's you. Yeah, that's interesting, Jeff. When, when I started my company, at the early onset, I actually hired Ipsos, the market research company, to, to actually do a study on that, which is how, how much data can you collect before they can find your needle in that haystack? And I was surprised how small the set was. That, <laughs> right, that hey, if you have this, this piece of data, this piece of data, I, I can figure out who you are. That, that really surprised me. Yeah. 
And, and to give a little bit of credit to the ad tech industry, right? So when they started working, their intention was not to pull personal information, but the definition of personal information has changed, right? And, and obviously just the sheer volume of what they collect makes it so obviously they're not collecting name and email address and physical address so they feel like they don't have the personal information but because they collect so much information about everyone you know even if it's a cookie id or a device id it just becomes easy to start saying you know pretty much knowing more about yourself than just you know, I, it, it's amazing how much they track. And, and I think um, part of it is just a recollection that, you know, cookies and device IDs and IMEI numbers and all of those things, which are just, you know, some kind of one zero zero something, and it's not, it's still personal information. I think that's the problem, um, but that it's still difficult for them to recognize it. Yeah, are you, are, are, Samir, are you, are you are you buying the idea that they really don't know who you are? <laughs> I don't buy that. I don't buy that uh, for a second. Yeah, I think you guys covered it up, but I'll tell you, there is an interesting story which I'm going to tell, right, uh, out of India with that scooter company um, on the similar lines that what exactly is the PII versus PI, right? Um, so I think everybody's trying to get away with all the GDPR or CCPA that, hey, we don't have personal data. We don't process personal data, right? So I think regulations eventually should evolve that what is personal data, the whole definition. It's not just your name and last name and social security. As long as you could be identified, that should be actually taken as a, as a personal information. Uh, uh, you remember that New York Times article where they actually could track uh, the people in the White House. Can you believe that from the free and some partially bought data sets. So they actually mapped actually the whole, everybody's location. And there were like some people in Afghanistan, <laughs> right? So who are basically wearing those uh, uh, metal <laughs> bands, right? So right now, I mean, they're in a war zone, but they're still running. They still got to do all kind of family connections and social and whatever now. Uh, but yeah, I think what is the whole, I think we need to, getting away that we have anonymized data, I, I don't think that needs to basically exist the way it is. We really need to basically have something, as long as you are identified, you're good, right? That should under regulation, that should be under regulation or whatever the due diligence you got to do. So, Jeff, I, I started by saying that I was surprised it was only 747 times a day. This problem is only going to get worse with 5G technologies, right? And the, the ability to put more and more sensors out there and track us more and more without us even knowing. I mean, sensors tracking our cars as they move down roads. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. Uh, it doesn't get better without regulation. Um, I, I don't think... Uh, I don't think notice and consent solves the problem. And, and, and that's it. so regulation, what is it going to take for our government? And, 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 and to be honest, there are a number of senators, U.S. senators, who are talking about this. Uh, the problem is that they talk about it. Nothing, nothing concrete's being done. Is it going to take aliens from out of space to, to finally get, get some useful legislation passed? Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure where, where we're going there. Okay, all right, let's move on. Next topic, Priya. 
Road draft raises concerns. Data could be used to identify abortion seekers and providers. Now, this is clearly a very hot topic right now. Yes. Um, it's actually in the front page of New York Times um, today, I think. Um, issues like this bring privacy to the forefront, makes us realize how little privacy there is. And, and not that we've not been talking about it. Uh, the previous topic was pretty much similar. Um, but major data brokers end up collecting both directly and indirectly, and they collect both mundane as well as very intimate details about us, things like, you know, what kind of prescription medications did you get? Did you go to a particular site to read about maybe abortion? Um, and some of these trackers, they're supposed to be anonymous and aggregated. Um, but you end up with also very specific information. So all you need is, I think you mentioned this, one to two data points. Um, so you have um, Bluetooth beacons in various places. So if you're if you go anywhere near them, they know maybe not not you, but at least that your iPhone or your um, you know whatever smartphone that you have was there near in the grocery yeah. store, or uh, it could be a, a Planned Parenthood, for example. And and to collect that kind of data is not very expensive, right? So um, I think somebody mentioned. I don't know if you saw um, um, one of the late night comedy show um, uh, was talking about data brokers, and they were talking about how cheap it is. And if you kind of look at the New York Times article. Um, you'll see that, you know, one of the things that they point out is that to get details about um, 600 plant parenthood locations, who visited them and who, or where did they go, you know, it just cost about $160. And it's something that can be available to anybody. Um, so it doesn't matter. Um, and not so long ago, just a few months back, um, maybe I'm my timelines are a little bit fuzzy, but we were talking about Afghanistan, right? So we were talking about how, you know, the fact that everybody had a digital identity suddenly became an issue um, because now it could be in the hands of Taliban. So it's, it's. I'm not trying to compare uh, the two issues, but you know, it, but but it, when when issues like this come up, um, that's when you realize how little privacy you really have. Uh, there is absolutely no way to escape. Um, you know, if you if you buy something, they track you. If your phone is tracking you all the time, um, and so and so that information again, the fact that it can be just there is no regulation on who can access it, how many people can buy it, um, just makes it um, a very tough topic in terms of um, you don't know how it can be used and for what purposes. Yeah, and what's interesting there, Priya, is that. In the first topic with Jeff, we were really focused on ad tech, right? And, and and these guys using our data to try to sell us goods. Annoying, not necessarily harmful, but this type of data where there's not really a product to be sold here. Therefore, if I'm buying it, I would think I'm buying it for politicalization of it. And that's a lot scarier. Both neither are good, but that's really worrisome. I mean, when we walk into voting booths, we're, we're covered, right? So people can't see how we vote. If they could start using data like this to target us for political reasons, that, that's a little worrisome. Sabir, what do you think about that? Oh, so I think there is a, right? So uh, I think there is, there is a, a perspective that is passive versus active, right? So if you see the advertising in our old TV era, it was passive, right? So you see the advertisement on the TV, 
right? Um, but they don't have anything to follow back on, right? So it's one way, right? So that's kind of a passive. So this active advertising, right? They see you here, they see you in Target or whatever the grocery store you go to, then they see you on browser. Oh man, this is this is like a, a somebody actually is tracking you. Uh, and I mean, abortion we get into bodily privacy here, right? So no matter whether you are pro or anti, doesn't matter at all, right? Whatever side you are on, right? And everybody has a, a right to opinion, right to believe in their religious or the the other beliefs, but that does not mean everybody has a right for bodily privacy, right? So this. Uh, falls under very intimate and kind of bodily uh, privacy part of uh, section of privacy. And I think <laughs> this is horrible uh, in terms of uh, how we can track. Uh, the other thing, Silicon Valley or rather all these big tech or big tech, small tech, everybody kind of try to uh, make it so big that tech is so awesome, right? But you saw this Cambridge Analytica stuff, right? You cannot just give access to this data based on the bots or just automated. I think it's a uh, it's over automation, right? Of your and that's how the whole data was leaked, right? So yes, you can automate yourselves. You can buy advertising, bid on those. But at the same time, if there is no human element to actually monitor it, what exactly you are selling? Because if you see the recent statement from one of the Facebook executive, right? He clearly said, we don't know how this data goes and where it goes. And we can't really control it. And our goal is to basically connect the world. So I think, but not at the cost of my data. Man. I mean, that is something we really need to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, does the world really need to be connected? <laughs> well, you know, I know we're running out of time on this topic, but let me add something just really quickly, right? Data doesn't care how it's used. Right. Um, 60 to 70 percent of Americans consistently say they're scared about how, you know, the government might use their personal data. Um, what they don't think about is that all of these uh, companies that they're giving their data to freely right, or the companies are grabbing freely um, will give that data to the government pretty much whenever the government asks, because that's what our privacy laws allow them to do. So essentially, they're giving it to the government by proxy. And right, the government can buy that data from data brokers for a couple of pennies. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit crazy. And, and government being complicit in it is really bad. All right, let's move on to the next topic. Samir, Indian customer sends notice to Ola Electric for making telemetry data public. Yeah, so this is a very interesting case and I actually particularly asked for uh, this one, right? So this is a scooter company, electric scooter company, right? One of the kind of Uberish ventures in India. Uh, so that guy actually met an accident, right? Um, and then why that accident happened had all kind of press um, around it, right? So basically the guy said that brakes did not work, right? And maybe some kind of fault. And now the, the scooter company, right, um, basically said that they actually published his telemetry data that he was driving faster than the speed limit, right, or whatever, right? So that does not mean your brake should not work, but see the impact. What data, right, you are the vehicle, you are riding the vehicle, right, you have no idea. So he has actually sued the company that under our contract and the respect of, or rather, 
uh, contract, you should not be actually putting, there is no direct regulation which covers that, but some section of, uh, I think, IT Act uh, uh, or the Contractual Act, whatever uh, that is, he said that you should not be sharing that data. And of course, right, your speed, right? And you can use that because he was driving, so it's not our fault, right? And you making that public is uh, for, for your own like positive praise that, hey, it wasn't our fault. Uh, I think that just follows on what earlier first news we had, right? How much data points. And here, the company is arguing that we did not share any personal data, right? So what we said that some person made an accident, his name is for anyway there in the press, whatever Balwan. And now he's saying, oh, we did not share, we shared the telemetry data, right? Which has no identification. In. Come on, that is his data, right? Who he was basically <laughs> driving. And you are collecting that data every second, every minute. And now you are saying that, oh, it's not personal data. Uh, I think we need to, again, redefine this uh, PI and PII definitions that it's just not about the first name and last name. As long as you can identify the individual, it is personal data, right? Uh, and the simple example, right? Yesterday, I went to a hospital for some minor stuff and, oh man, they just ask you for your birth date, right? Because in, in their system, right? Birth date and first name and sometimes not even last name, right? There are only two, not even the first name, last name. And so two characteristics they can find in system. So it defines, right? It defines that identifying personal data. And we did not have that problem in the past when we had paper records. Now everything is automated. We got all this AI stuff going on. So yeah, so I thought that would be a very interesting, but would like to hear other perspectives. Yeah, Jeff, how how responsible or or should big should companies be in protecting our data? Well, you know, all of the privacy laws uh, really just say that they need to have reasonable security, and I think that's part of the problem that it's hard for companies to to figure out what reasonable security is. And it's hard for anybody to enforce reasonable security. What is reasonable security? Um, obviously it's not enough because, you know, cyber attacks uh, and, you know, the theft of identity and, and uh, you know, ransomware just keeps increasing. You know, it's, 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 you know, increasing every, every month pretty much. So we're not doing enough, companies aren't doing enough and uh, we need to change. We can't just say reasonable anymore. We've got to do something different. <laughs> Brett, what do you think about that? Um, I have some comments on the, um, the, the case itself, right? So right. I think the usage matters a lot, how you use the data. So the telemetry was captured, but um, you know, if you don't have restrictions on how it can be used, and, and again, I agree with Samir's point that it is personal information because it talks about your behavior, how fast you drive. Uh, so, but it could be misused. If it's sold or shared, an insurance company can start, you know, using that information to say, hey, you've been fast to, you know, 200 times in the last month. So your premium goes up. I mean, um, the same thing can happen in healthcare, right? So, all, you know, these sorts of things kind of just has repercussions and we don't have any idea 
who has what type of data. And we don't even know if the insurance company is using that kind of information to, to you know, reject, for example, or provide you know, different kind of premium to different type of people. They're probably already doing that. Um, so, you know, those kinds of things has direct repercussions. And so, yeah, it's not just about releasing telemetry data for the purposes of, you know, PR in this case, um, but, but it has other, you know, other repercussions as well. So I think uh, the important point note to note there, right, the, the um, what do you call consent, right? If he may have given a general consent when he bought a scooter in that accept all agreement kind of stuff, right? But he did not know that if accident happens tomorrow that they will public, publish my uh, telemetry data for uh, against me. So I think it's a, it's a very interesting territory. I think it is just a start. We are basically, uh, I always say that these privacy regulations just not gonna, um, the whole privacy perspective will not uh, be implemented just because of the regulation. But more and more incidents gonna happen every day. And that's what basically gonna force people, companies, and eventually regulators to actually make it tight. Um, that's how I think it's gonna go. Hey, thanks, Samir. All right, Jeff, back to you. Do people caught on ring cameras have privacy rights? Hmm. Yeah, I think this is more of a, I guess, a philosophical debate, but one that I have sort of a personal interest in. Um, I, uh, I tend to walk uh, in the evenings in my neighborhood and uh, I, I'm pretty sure I'm caught on about a hundred ring cameras every time I take a walk in the evening. In fact, I even get caught on uh, uh, security spotlights because uh, some of my neighbors seem to think that uh, motion sensors that trigger when I'm walking in the public street um, are okay, which seems a little odd to me. But, uh, you know, I think we're, we're in a very strange place right now because I don't know if everybody knows, but I think most people do now that uh, the police departments are, are getting access to a lot of these ring uh, doorbell cameras as well, right? So it's not just for people's own you know, individual protection, but now we've almost got like a whole uh, surveillance network you know, in every community. And that's great for crime protection, but maybe not so much for privacy. And yeah. you know, that hasn't really gone through the courts yet as to whether or not that's a violation of our individual privacies. And uh, I think it's probably gonna get challenged and who knows where it's gonna go. But, but I think, I, I think we've, we've got some concerns. I have some personal concerns. Well, if you take a picture of somebody and you go to publish that picture, you need to get their, their, their approval to use their image in that picture, you have to blur them out. Yeah. Is, I mean, what's a privacy camera except a live stream of me, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bri, how do you feel about that? I think cameras are everywhere. And with the AI, it can do a lot of things. Facial recognition is becoming more and more and more um, common and easy. Um, so, you know, Ring poses a question and um, uh, so 
privacy is a problem, right? So if if somebody could find out where I was, what I was doing, I mean, if if it was for a crime, then they, that can they use it is one question. But then um, in the name of crime, what else can we identify, right? So it's just it's just a question of there's a reason why you know there there needs to be a subpoena. There needs to be you know a process, a due process. And so when you skip those processes, um, even if it's for a good cause, uh, yeah, one must question as to you know where should where where do we draw the line? And I think privacy should be a fundamental right. We're all privacy professionals, so we believe in it. Um, so maybe we're biased, but but I, I believe almost everybody you ask them, they're probably going to say yes. I do not want to be monitored. Um, you know, 24-7. Uh, but, but you know, the, the details matter. So I, I don't know. I think the cameras are everywhere. I have a ring camera. I have motion sensors. So I guess, you know, it, it serves a purpose, but I don't store the data. And I would probably not, I agree with you, I would probably not reveal any kind of images without permission and would be mindful of privacy, but whether everybody would do that, no idea. Uh, Samir, so, so Priya said it serves a purpose. Where, where, do you, where's the line between our theoretical safety, our increased security, and our privacy? Right. I mean, that's that's the decision we as citizens are going to have to make somewhere in the near future, right? And, and I'll just throw my two cents is I'm concerned we're becoming a surveillance state and therefore I need less security in my life and more privacy. <laughs> what are you, what are you thinking? Well, I think, uh, no, no, there is a high time to think about this, right? So, and some people, and like Priya said, uh, are actually loving it, right? I see all those neighborhood discussions, right? Uh, in the next door and those kind of apps. Hey, I saw somebody on ring. He checked my car. He has no business of coming. So please be aware. So there are some uh, benefits with that kind of free surveillance. The the key thing there is, uh, I think Ring provides this information to the cops, which is kind of concerning uh, in terms of uh, that. But I think then, see, it's privacy by design, right? Kind of uh, what they should do Ring. So putting a Ring camera, how much territory you can cover in somebody else's property. So for example, I have a, house right uh, so there is a difference between the half acre or one acre house versus your townhouse or even your condo right because then you are actually evading like 10 houses privacy so i think there has to be probably a, what ring can implement is they should have a different products depending on what kind of house we you got or actually there should be an option we should not be allowing people to actually do monitor entire street so I do have my personal cameras, which actually don't upload to cloud, right? Uh, I also have a ring, but which covers a very limited area. Uh, but what eventually is, I can at least, or rather at most go the area which I cover in my lens, right? Which is me, my house, my opposite house, so maximum four houses. I think we gotta think about those kind of that, how long you can, because you got a ring camera does not mean you're a cop or even if you have, uh, a right to basically monitor like, you know, uh, the whole population in that entire neighborhood. And that actually gets in the uh, uh, a really gray area. Um, and the problem with all this privacy stuff is nobody knew it this way. Right? Everybody 
uh, innovated somehow. The ring came and then all data monetization economy came. And there is, I think, loss couldn't keep up to it. And we also did not understand, right, what are the uh, repercussions of it from uh, earlier. So, yeah, I think uh, we need to have some kind of, and I think uh, all these companies like Ring, they better actually uh, implement privacy by design rather than uh, somebody enforcing and people throwing out those cameras. I don't use my Google Home or Alexa anymore. And a lot of people just unplug those long time. If you don't use it, that data, so it's going to be less accurate. So companies need to think that it is a productive for them to implement privacy rather than people throwing out their devices. Great. All right, last topic, Priya. Polish DPA rules about the right to access the personal data contained in trackers. Yeah, this is an interesting case, right? And it somehow these issues, you know, they kind of come back to the same topic. What is PI and what is, um, you know, how much do we understand what we collect? Um, so in this case, a data subject had asked a website operator for some information about what kind of information is shared with third party, right? Like, so with um, what do they collect about him or her and what how it's shared with um, third party and a copy of, um, of the data itself. The website provider obviously did not provide the information saying that they did not process anything that would identify him. Um, and then just basically ended up giving, um, you know, some information on how to kind of, disable cookies from the website. So, you know, it just came back to this lack of clear definition or maybe understanding, um, you know, that personal information includes cookies, it includes IP addresses. Um, so it's not just name, email address, social security number, which, you know, obviously we've started to realize that that's personal. Um, but um, so, so what happens is, you know, obviously, if you don't kind of think about these one zero zero or some random number or gibberish is attributable to me because it's tracking a lot of intimate details about, you know, what websites I visit. And obviously that is being used to target, um, you know, specific ads to me. But, um, you know, if obviously the, in this case, the website operator did not understand how it works. Um, so the, con the disclosure and the consent was not very clear. And they were sending this information to a third party even before they obtained any kind of consent, right? So, um, uh, and, and of course, uh, because they did not, um, they did not also provide this uh, as part of the DSAR request, they violated um, GDPR through that process. But it just comes back to fundamentally, you know, understanding how IP addresses work, how cookies work, what types of processing happens through cookies, how uh, you know it's transferred to third parties, and um, and how it's used to even track specific behavioral information about me that I'm interested in certain types of shoes or I'm in the market for a certain type of uh, product. You know, a lot of information is uh, is gleaned from that. But um, most companies seem to not be um, quite clear on what it is that they have enabled through the scripts. 
Um, and, and they kind of just assume that since they kind of just, uh, you know, accepted the script to be put on their website to, by the third party providers, somehow they are not, you know, liable for it. So it's, it's a kind of an interesting case that sort of brings to light some of the issues, you know, from a, from a privacy perspective. Jeff, you're shaking your head a lot during that. <laughs> well, I was just sort of thinking that, uh, you know, this is a company that actually had a consent mechanism on their website, and they actually did, uh, had some sort of the DSAR process, and yet they still failed pretty miserably, primarily just because they hadn't really thought through all of the information that they collect and how they collect it and, you know, what they needed to do with it. Um, you know, part of that is their failing, but part of it is is that it's it's hard, it's complicated, right? This is, you know, technology that a lot of people don't understand. If you don't really understand ad tech, if you don't really understand privacy, if you don't understand what can be personal information. So if you don't have the expertise, um, you gotta go out and hire it or you gotta grow it from within. Um, and if you don't do that, if you don't invest in that, you're gonna fail. No, I, I agree with that. I just want to point out something, right? So most people kind of think that they buy a technology, um, let's say cookie consent, and there it is, they're compliant, right? But privacy is a lot more complex and it requires deeper understanding of the topics and they don't sort of put the two together, which is why you sort of implemented something partially, but you know, yet you failed. Uh, I'm Eric, sorry to jump in, but I just wanted to point that no, out. No, yes. It's a great point. <laughs> Sabir, anything on that? Yeah, yeah, and it's not easy, right? We also actually, so a lot of these third-party plugins and all this API economy, right? So you go to a travel site, you don't know how many APIs. So I was talking to one of major, like, I think, uh, QuickBook kind of company. They have like 500 partners, man, where they exchange data. So first of all, the people who are doing this, do they even know how this data is used? That's my first question, right? Because I am just a consumer of that, and I don't know. I have to check like those privacy policies ten times, right? In terms of using any third-party plugin, right? So I recently published a privacy quiz. So we basically checked what. So that was a quiz platform. What kind of their privacy policy is? Uh, so I think some automation is coming. We have some good uh, uh, text privacy tech, which is coming up, where which will give ability for people. Uh, but Priya is right, right? Consent management and that also not consent management in general. It's consent management of website, which is front end part of your uh, whole business, right? That's the only thing. People, oh, oh, we got privacy. Okay, we got consent management. We got accept all buttons and things of that nature. All right. So in the real time, Nate, future of, of this program, we have one more topic. <laughs> Samir, FTC to set us to set its sights on. EdTech companies. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty near and dear and should be near and dear, right? It's basically the whole generation. And thanks to COVID, we are doing everything like kids' education online. I don't know what not. So uh, I think the, the whole thing started with the State of Union. Uh, if you follow, I think uh, President Biden actually gave almost 45 seconds for this topic, which was a big deal. Uh, and their area of concern was... Uh, all about children privacy, right? What, how these technologies are, and, and what they mentioned was before even child turns 13, there are like 12 million data points already collected on them, right? 
So that's that's something to be concerned about. So remember, right? Find lucky, right? Say if I'm 40 years old, at least they couldn't do take my collection data point 10 years before that. Now, when you are born, right, and then you use your computer, right? And I'm pretty sure you can find with the patterns, right? The age of the person on average. Um, so looks like uh, I think what this news tells us is federal, all those eight tech companies, be careful how you use that data. And you saw that Live 360 app, right? Uh, and there was a big controversy around that, that hey, they, they were actually, so this is a parent watching app for the kids because if kids are lost and something, so very good use. But they're taking that data and they were selling it. And people actually found the actual evidence that this data is sold. So how dangerous is that, man, in terms of, so in the olden days, right, we were about, uh, we were worried about kids being kidnapped, right, at the school, coming from home, and there was kind of, now you don't need to go to kidnap somewhere, right, to the school, right, just you can actually um, procrastinate or something like on their Discord channels or whatever, just basically be friends with them. This social media has given so much and uh, all these gaming platforms, how they follow those age 13 or 11 or children um, in terms of and what mistakes they do there or somebody actually got. So uh, I think the kids issues should be uh, treated very carefully. So I'm glad that FTC is taking uh, a very good uh, initiative on that. And uh, I would say uh, even before doing, um, I think that's a very sensitive topic, right? Because it's all about minors. Um, so very important, but uh, ed tech companies uh, make sure that how you are collecting and sharing data because uh, education sector, another point to concern, it's not highly resourced, right? You see the budgets, right? They are operate mainly nonprofit manner or public sector. So they are not organized as much. Right, so all these edtech companies are giving them solution, right? And now they gotta basically monetize because they may not be able to actually be very profitable with kind of the the industry it is. So they gonna find the ways to be profitable, um, and they may not know, right? There are like tons of platforms there which your and my kids use, and how they are sharing that data uh, with with identity without identity. Um, so. I think watch for it if you don't, if you are running a tech company, um, this is a very good that, especially in United States, um, you're gonna be uh, governed. Uh, and it's a good news because minor is absolutely sensitive issue. Stunning. So Jeff, Jeff should, should the government step in and prohibit certain industries like EdTech from period? Don't, you can't share that data. I mean, forget it. Just don't even think about it. You're providing a service, I get it, but charge for it and don't share the data and don't sell the data. I mean, your government, I mean, I think, they, I think they have to get involved, don't they? Yeah, I think they should. I think they probably be, need to have more guidelines. Um, it's, it's probably pretty ripe uh, for, for that to happen. Um, especially because you've got a lot of private equity firms that are now getting into ed tech and, and merging a lot of these companies, um, probably exactly so that they can share that data within uh, between those companies, uh, if, if not externally to those companies. And I think there's, there's a lot of risk there. Um, you see a lot of brokers in, in the ed tech space. Um, 
And I think that, you know, regulators have always sort of hit the, the children's market first. I mean, you saw, you know, FERPA in, ed, in the education arena, right, was a very early privacy law, as well as COPA, which is really sort of America's first comprehensive privacy law. If you sort of think about it, uh, and you sort of, you can sort of think of that as a sectoral law, but it really was comprehensive just for a subsection of the of the, the population, right, just for children. And it has holes because really companies can get around it by saying, well, I didn't know that they were kids, right? If we were to actually stop or that and make companies figure out whether their, their clients were actually kids, it would actually be a pretty damn strict law. Um, but we haven't done that yet. Um, and if you were to sort of, you know, couple that with this new focus on ed tech by, by the FTC, you'd actually have a pretty, pretty damn strict um, regime for privacy for kids. Yeah, last word. I think it's a very important topic. I have kids and the, the amount of apps they are exposed to is just crazy. Um, and I don't think there is, I mean, I can count a handful of apps where parental consent is required. 99% um, of the time, there is nothing. And the passwords are horrible and there is no security. So in, in that sense, and plus, of course, you don't even know what happens in the secondary market, right, in terms of data share. I think kids, while they're being educated on this topic a little bit, um, I think it's not possible for them to take care of themselves or protect themselves. And it's crazy to think that by the time you become an adult, somebody would have 12 million data points about you. That's just way too much. Um, it's just it's just. I feel there needs to be more regulation and and a lot more control uh, because parents can't do this alone. And I think it uh, you know you need the what Samir said is true. There is not enough money, but that doesn't mean you can shortchange the future of these kids. Here, here. Hopefully, the government's watching this podcast. And that's a wrap, everyone. Thanks again to our guest Jeff Jockish of Privacy Plan. Priya Kishab of Miru Data and Samir Ahirao of Ardent Privacy. I'd also like to invite our listeners to join the free Data Collaboration Alliance community. We're a vibrant group of data savvy professionals who collaborate on open data sets and build free tools for important causes. Visit thedatacollaboration.org to learn more about becoming a founding member and get a link to sign up. Thanks everybody for joining and I found it fascinating. Take care. Thanks for having us. Thank Thanks, you. Sir. The Data Drop is a production of the Data Collaboration Alliance, a nonprofit dedicated to advancing meaningful data ownership and global collaborative intelligence. Data Drop viewers are invited to check out our free community where members collaborate on data sets, dashboards, and open tools in support of important causes. Visit datacollaboration.org.